What up, Con Potters? Is that our audience name? What the hell's our, like, listener gang name? Oh my god, like, insecurities? Or like, confi confidants? The confidants? My confidants? Is that it? I don't know. You guys let me know what you like better. So this podcast episode is going to be a little bit different of a setup. If you're watching this, you can see it's just me. And if you're listening, surprise, it's just me. Uh, on the Nerdist podcast, which I used to listen to religiously, they would call an episode like this a hostful, where it's just an episode full of the host, and that's me. So... Look, I've been in Europe for like the last 10 days and I know this podcast is going up like a day or two late, but sue me, I'm working on European Wi-Fi and I've just been journaling my trip here. And so I wanted to read it to you and I hope you enjoy this one. It's just like a stream of consciousness of my brain head. Um, before I go into that though, I wanted to give a shout out to our Instagram caption contest winners. Uh, and also one Twitter winner. Uh, the shout outs are from Instagram. I want to say what up to Millie Keaw, Casey Tangent Camp, Supernatural 2103, April M. Vigil, and our Twitter winner, Lucky Sam78. So thanks so much for participating in that fun caption contest. Uh, I've written this episode into three parts or three chapters, if you will emotions physical and sex, of course, right? Like what else is there to life? <laughs> it jumps around and thus is my brain. Um, and for visual, 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 it's a word I made up. And for the visual, oh my God, I did it again. For the visual listeners, you're going to see me reading from my journal. So this is like a vomit diary. Um, I hope you enjoy. Part one. Wow, I feel like this is an audiobook. Mm, like cleanse my palate. Mm. Part one. I'm alone in Europe. I'm writing the outline of this podcast episode, which will no doubtly feel unlike all the others because I am alone on a train in the middle of France. I'm sitting in a train car that looks and feels like the Hogwarts Express. Deadass, like I have my own little room with six seats alone to myself and a big window that looks out into the vast blue waters of the south of France. But I feel like Neville Longbottom because like no one wanted to sit with me in this train car apparently. <laughs> Every shadow and again, I can see my own reflection staring back at me in the window. I'm dressed in a mini khaki romper from ASOS that I bought online the week before the trip because I was convinced I needed 12 new outfits that is the length of my trip for, you know, fashion reasons, Instagram, etc. I even bought new underwear. Was this romper worth the $50 that will definitely be soaking in sweat and probably give me chafing in the next four to six hours because it's 81 degrees out today in sunny France? Probably not. I'm also wearing $20 white Target slides that are incredibly comfortable, which is a huge win because I have the highest insteps on my small size six feet. My feet look like a ballerina who was subjected to Chinese foot binding. By the way, the history of foot binding in ancient China is fucking insane. Let me just like talk about this for a second. Amanda Foreman from the Smithsonian Magazine wrote an article, Lincoln Bio, which states, 
Foot binding is said to have been inspired by a 10th century court dancer named Yao Niang, who bound her feet into the shape of a new moon. She entranced Emperor Li Yu by dancing on her toes inside of a six-foot golden lotus, festooned with ribbons and precious stones. In addition to altering the shape of the foot, the practice also produced a particular sort of gait that relied on the thigh and buttocks muscles for support. From the start, foot binding was imbued with erotic overtones. Gradually, other court ladies with money, time, and a void to fill took up foot binding, making it a status symbol among the elite. A small foot in China, no different from a tiny waist in Victorian England, represented the height of female refinement. For families with marriageable daughters, foot size translated into its own form of currency and means of achieving upward mobility. The most desirable bride possessed a three-inch foot. Let me say that again. A three-inch foot known as a golden lotus. It was respectable to have four-inch feet, a silver lotus, but five feet inches or longer were dismissed as iron lotuses. The marriage prospects for such a girl were dim, dim indeed. The size of foot binding adults women's feet even today are the length of an iPhone and the width of an iPhone minus half an inch. Yikes! I mean, now that I've read this out loud, I probably shouldn't use that comparison lightly, but I don't know how else to describe my totally weird size feet for my height. I'm 5'9". I've got on a new Apple Watch wristband I bought on Etsy that's been turning my wrist green. My favorite ring that my boyfriend got me for my last birthday a rose gold custom signet ring emblazoned with a Gryffindor G and a Slytherin colored green emerald to represent my split house personality, Slytherdor. Side note, when people meet me and the inevitable like, which house are you in conversation comes up, most people won't even let me answer before they assume Slytherin right in my face. I'm always taken a little bit by surprise because to me I'm so clearly Gryffindor presenting. I'm a Leo for one, I have a lion tattoo. I'm loud and proud and I'd like to think brave and I know Slytherins aren't like evil, it's just that's what the movies have portrayed but I'm always surprised when like a complete stranger sees Slytherin right off the bat. <laughs> Jared, my boyfriend, gave me this ring that he designed himself when we were sitting on the beaches of Thailand last year only having known each other for 11 months, dating for only eight and that's when I knew he was the one. This year for my birthday, which was August 16th, by the way. I know this is coming out a little bit late. Technically, it's already been my birthday in Europe on Friday for you or whatever. I'm still fucking lost with the time difference, so please just make me feel good and wish me a birthday on Instagram. Uh, anyway, he gave me this year's birthday present early, and it is yet again another custom piece. A rose gold necklace adorned with a three-carat Colombian emerald that he designed. I'm not a hoe for material things, and I already chose this man to be my life partner, yet when he showed this to me, I cried and almost proposed to him. Someone sane at this moment would say something like, I don't deserve him, but I do, and he deserves me. More on him later in chapter three. He gave me this birthday necklace early because this year we knew I'd be going on this trip. The trip that this episode is all about. A mostly solo, but part work, part birthday vacation for myself. Let me explain. I was originally asked by a hair extensions company that I'd made a BuzzFeed video for to come out on their 250-foot golden yacht for a European launch of their line. They'd cover the flight to and from LA and put me up on the yacht for a night. So the trip only lasted two and a half days total. 
despite the short amount of time basically equaling like the same amount of time for travel, I wasn't gonna turn this shit down. A free trip to Europe on a yacht? Are you fucking kidding? This kind of stuff doesn't happen to me. <laughs> sure, I know having the following that I have allows me for some some pretty sweet perks and I'm not blind to that awesome privilege, but a free trip to Europe? This is like some Emily Radichajowski shit. There was only one large problem. As most of my followers and listeners know, I've got extreme panic disordering anxiety. Like, didn't leave my house for months at one point in my early 20s because I was becoming so agoraphobic anxiety. My panic disorder had revealed itself lately in childhood, but the big one, panic attack that is, happened on an airplane flight back from Canada, which made me feel like I was stuck in a claustrophobic nightmare for hours. Well, being unable to breathe, and look, I don't want to trigger anyone, so I'll just tell you this. What used to be my favorite thing in the world, traveling, became my worst nightmare. I was taking an unhealthy amount of meds anytime I had to get it on a plane, and that slowly leaked into my real life. Before I knew it, getting in the backseat of an Uber or showing up at an event where I didn't really know anyone became grounds for high anxiety central, thus high medication central. And I want to make it clear that there is a difference between having a panic attack and having high anxiety. The way people flippantly use the phrase, oh my god, I just had a panic attack these days, infuriates me. The majority of people who have panic disorder will have panic attacks less frequently than high anxiety. High anxiety is anxiety that interrupts daily life, intrusive and repetitive thoughts and those worries and thoughts and fears that can lead into a panic attack, which is a physical reaction. Anyway, I talk more about these differences in my workbook that I'm currently working on, which will be published next year by Thought Catalog. Shameless early plugs. I asked the hair extensions company if I paid for my best friend's way, could she stay in my room on the yacht? And they said yes. I also asked if instead of flying home two and a half days later, if they could fly me out of Barcelona 10 days later. It was cheaper and then I could stay in Europe longer, forcing myself to get over this fucking fear of being outside of my comfort zone. I'd had enough of living in this fear, saying no to things because I was worried about every little thing. Beyond the regular fears of what will I wear and what will I do, but intrusive thoughts like, what if the world ends while I'm in Europe and my AT&T cellular data plan won't allow me to FaceTime Jared because there's no Wi-Fi? And would I use that last call to FaceTime Jared? Or would it be my mom? Or can I group to FaceTime these people and my sister and my dad and I haven't called them in a while? Maybe I shouldn't just go on this trip. Maybe I should just stay home and call these people and make sure they're okay and that my cats are fed. <sighs> and these types of thoughts would ruminate until I came to the conclusion that it was always better to stay at home watch Netflix, and do nothing with my free time. I have an ironic wooden plaque on my dresser like a basic white bitch that says, eat well and travel often, which makes me like feel like a complete fraud in these moments. Like the sign is going to grow arms and legs one day and walk right off my dresser and tell me it's gonna go travel the world and eat well since I'm too much of a fucking pussy to get out of bed. Anyway, the company said yes to my asks of bringing my best friend Lacey for two days and flying my ass out of Barcelona. You know what they say, when you're given an inch, ask for a mile. So now I'm in it, step one done. The fucking ticket is booked and I'm doing it. I'll spend one day traveling, two days on a yacht, quote unquote working, and then my best friend will leave and then I'll have eight days alone in Europe and one last day traveling home, 12 days total. I'll be flying both ways, 
by myself over 16 hours with layovers and enough mobile chargers to run a small country. I had only about a week to prep for this trip, which is hardly ideal for someone who lives and dies by a Google calendar. Oh, and did I mention that I'm going to be sober this entire trip? It's been really refreshing, actually. (laughs) Not drinking and experiencing all of this stress in a really raw and real way. The way in which I'd normally mask by getting tipsy, allowing myself to really struggle has allowed, like, it's made it more promising to make it feel like all more accomplished. Like each little thing I get to do sober is adding to a Rolodex of experiences I'd never had sober before. That I'm gonna remember each dinner I eat, each storefront I walk into, each person I'll have a conversation with. It just feels more honest, if that makes sense. Like I'm not copping out of any of this mental irritation that usually causes me to drink in the first place. It's weird writing it out to finally admit it. I became that famous alcoholic you know on the internet because of my anxiety. Yeesh. Now of course I know that all of this sounds incredibly privileged. Struggle is objective. The cultural dimensions of class formation and class struggle are tricky. The human terminality put it great. They say, Like pain, it is personal, unique, and cannot always be described easily. Sometimes people struggle with making decisions. Sometimes people struggle with social objectification, such as race or gender bias. On the opposite end of the coin, some people struggle with success and are unwilling to step into the role they needed for. So while it might seem like I'm not really going through anything and I'm getting to travel and I should be grateful and I should be kind and to myself and I should be decent and I should take advantage of my life and what am I even doing? I'm shooting myself to death. I'm not helping people by doing this. I'm not saving lives or paying attention enough to people suffering or t- talking about politics or whatever. But honestly, I can't fully think of any of that shit while my brain is stuck in shouldville. I'm thinking of all the things I'm not doing instead of the things I am doing. I mean, I like to think outwardly I have a sunny disposition that I'm kind to people I meet, but on the inside, I'm a fucking monster to myself. I've never had a positive internal monologue as long as I could remember. I've been plagued with a cruel and unusual punishment of being incredibly unkind to myself. Like my parents would always say, it's always something with you. And that part is true. It does always just feel like something with me. I get mad at myself that my mind and body and personality just can't be functional like everyone else's. I say that sarcastically, of course, because I know everyone has their shit, but I swear, when I step into a beautifully crowded town square and a mostly expenses paid for trip in Europe, and all I can think about is how bad I want to come home, I can't help but feel unusual. And then there's the wildly popular book, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor E. Frankl that I'm just finishing. He says, when we are no longer able to change a situation, we are challenged to change ourselves, which is what I'm trying to do. Our social media culture has created this notion that we have to take full advantage of being on vacation, yoloing our life to the fullest and being carefree and unbothered while looking like we have it together, yet being effortless doing so at the same time. I've always been someone who likes to have every moment of my vacation planned. I print double itineraries and triple confirm excursions. I have backup plans, my backup plans, and rarely enjoy being in the moment. (laughs) Well, I rarely enjoy being in the moment because I'm so focused on getting to the next thing. So taking this trip, I wanted to seriously challenge myself. I wanted to actively seek discomfort. 
By the way, that phrase, seek discomfort, comes from one of my favorite YouTube channels called Yes Theory. If you've never heard of them, link in bio, check them out. Seeking discomfort, trying to change the inner voice in my head, the fundamentals of my DA. DA? District attorney? No. The fundamentals of my DNA. The voice I so actively and publicly speak out about with my mental health, I was going to have to do something drastic. I decided to make my entire trip after those two days of quote-unquote work to be completely unplanned and let my social media followers, you guys, choose everything from where I go to where I stay, what I eat, and the social activities I choose. I don't want to go into too much detail since I'm making a YouTube video about it, and I'd rather tell you the trip details that I wasn't filming and won't be able to make it into the video. So here we go. Part two, an update. I'm writing to you, dear outline, from the rooftop pool of a hostel in Lisbon, Portugal, a few days later. Let me tell you how I got here. So don't get me wrong, I didn't just decide to make this video, YOLO the shit out of my situation and everything was better. No, no, no. <laughs> On takeoff from LAX to Nice, France, I definitely had a big blip of panic. Like, had to get up and talk to the flight attendants and walk around the cabin for a while, while I waited for my two pills of Valium to kick in, I had never thought I'd break my sobriety so hard as I did in that moment. The free red wine was right there waiting for me. I mean, I sorta of copped out by taking Valium, but I'd never considered Valium to be anything but medication. I don't abuse it and whatever, I don't need to explain myself to you outline. Go listen to the episode about sobriety if you want more of my thoughts and info on that. I fell asleep for the rest of the flight and woke up in some European city for a three hour layover. One of my favorite travel tips is to tell people I meet about the app Lounge Buddy, not sponsored. It's an app that tells you about lounges and airports all over the world, how to get in using credit card status, airline status, or cash, what kinds of foods, drinks, and facilities they have. Overall, it's just great. Get it if you travel. I was clear as day, but still anxious when I got to the layover, but having a comfortable lounge with a place to lay down for three hours and free food was clutch. I got in using my Amex Platinum card for free. A few hours later, I finally met my best friend in Nice and everything felt right in the world for the first time in 16 hours. My BFF Lacey is the true definition of a BFF and she has seen my anxiety and panic in its worst moments. So when she's around, I feel incredibly safe. Like I'm allowed to have a panic attack around her and I give my body permission to do that, which then makes me like almost impossible to have one. Emotions are fucked. So we have a cute-ass night out in Cannes, or Cannes, or however you say it, and then the next two days are filled with what can only be described as a dream. A $22 million, 250-foot golden yacht with jet skis, swan floaties galore, and an onboard chef. It was truly one of the coolest experiences of my life, and those two days alone would have been worth all of the anxiety. In moments where it would pop up, like leaving the port, for example, my brain starts to realize, oh shit, I'm on a fucking port with no escape plan or no itinerary. But for each negative thought that passed in my brain between the space in my ears, just behind my eyes, where my anxiety feels like it ruminates, I would counter it with the opposite, positive version of that thought. Yes, it took time and people may have looked at me sideways when I appeared to be staring off into space talking to myself, but it really helped. 
For example, when my brains and thoughts said, this boat is gonna sink and there's no goddamn reason why, I had to actively stop whatever I was doing and say out loud, there are 12 crew members and 10 other people on board. We can see other boats and land in the distance. You will not only have fun, but this will be one of the best weekends of your life. And I had to do that a lot. And I'm trying to retrain my brain to think the way that I want it to, not the way my caveman brain has developed into trying to protect me from shit. I'm really learning how to try to be kinder to myself. I had to tell myself that bad shit happens everywhere, especially in America now. I noticed myself being the only person who flinched when a motorcycle backfired, like something a crowd of European tourists couldn't understand. And I started to notice that I maybe felt even safer there. There was a moment when my own fanny pack grazed the back of my thigh and I thought I was being groped. I had to realize I had to check the shit out of my own internal prejudice against European men. Like, had I always seen on TV that they're, I don't know, handsy? Like, in reality, I'm more likely to get my ass grabbed in a club in Los Angeles. I noticed for the first few days that my nerves were on high alert. There was a small moment when I almost dropped my AirPod ear thing. And now normally if I were standing at a, you know, train station or on the beach, anyone would react and possibly their stomach would drop a little bit hoping that they wouldn't lose their precious AirPod. But I was laying in bed at a cushy hotel and my stomach nearly fell out of my butt when I dropped my AirPod and I had to realize and check in my body like, what the fuck was that? And then my body reminded me that I needed to breathe. It was actually my Apple Watch that reminded me to breathe. It like beeps and tells me and it's like, your heart rate's too high, breathe. And I had done zero breath work since being in Europe. And like, well, duh, we forget so quickly to just drop our shoulders and take a deep breath in throughout the day. I try to do that at least 10 times. Let's do one now, shall we? Drop your shoulders, take a deep breath in, hold it for two, out for four. I'd like to go over some more travel tips. I answered a small Q&A over on Instagram's IGTV at ConfidentlyPod channel where I answered your questions that you wrote in, but I'd love to give you some more details on the trips for traveling here. One, yeast infection medication. I know this is an aggressive one to start out on, but holy shit has it saved my life multiple times. I believe it was either the wet bathing suits or the pure stress of the trip threw off my pH and I got a yeast infection the day I was here and there was nothing more uncomfortable in this lifetime. However, I knew that there was a chance that this would happen, so I pre-packed monostat suppositories, vaginal pH test strips that I bought on Amazon that you can tell whether you have something, anti-itch wipes that I carry everywhere with me, and a travel-sized cream that I put in my airplane bag because you never fucking know, you know? Two, converter with a cube cap. A cube tap is the shape of a cube that you can plug things into, like four or five sides. I always plug my converter in and then the cube tap in so I can charge all of my devices at once. Not to mention, I always try and keep some extra pocket-sized mobile chargers with me. Three, fucking sunscreen because it's expensive as fuck in Europe. I almost paid $30 for a spray bottle that in the States would be like $3. Four, mosquito bite spray and anti-itch cream that came in major handy even though we were on a boat. Like, that was weird that <laughs> we got bit by bugs. 
Five, a disposable water bottle that folds up because you need to stay hydrated as fuck when traveling. I got one in Europe for $8 and it squishes into the size of a flat circle, like the size of a Coke can that I can stick in my back pocket and a carabiner that attaches to my belt buckle. Uh, Another tip, use Airbnb experiences. I found the two coolest classes on Airbnb experiences, which I originally just thought were like another tourist trap. It's a community generated platform, so you're mostly taking classes with locals who teach a specialty. I decided to do a 7 a.m. morning yoga sunrise class followed by a birth chart reading with a wonderful woman who you should check on my Instagram story. I will link her stuff in bio as well. Uh, Today I took a three hour walking food tapas tour and I met a bunch of other Americans my age and we're gonna go out tonight together. It's just wonderful. Next, azithromycin, AKA a Z-pack, which it treats, they're like pills that can treat any bacterial infection like middle ear infections, strep throat, pneumonia, traveler's diarrhea, and certain intestinal infections. I always get this from like an urgent care or I'll video call in my doctor for a prescription before I leave because you never know when you're gonna get some shit when you travel internationally and you're on a plane for all those hours breathing in God knows what and it's better to be safer than sorrier. (sighs) Take lots of pictures, but put the phone down. I tried to really only bust out my phone if I needed to take a picture of something or post to my story. I technically count doing my story as like making a little time capsule and I look back on my stories all the time. Um, But especially if you're traveling alone like me, the only way you're gonna meet people is if you look up. Speaking of looking up, I stayed at a hostel for the first time in my life this trip. While I was in France, I busted out my story and I asked you guys where I should go on the map of Europe. And the majority of replies were to Portugal. I had been staying in my comfort zone in hotels up into this part of the trip, so I decided I was giving you guys a chance to pick which kind of hostel I would stay in. All gender or female dorms. Again, I have to check my bias here because I think I've seen too many movies like Hostel where you see the dumb American blonde bitch go missing in a hostel. So I ended up staying in an all women's dorm. I maybe saw my roommates once the entire time I was there. And let me give you this fair warning about hostels. Because they are a shared space, There are people coming and going at all hours. And you think you wanna sleep in because like you're hungover, you stayed out the late night before. That's too bad because the roomie has to take a giant shit at 6 a.m. and make the bathroom sound like a war zone and then blow dry your hair right after, which is something that actually happened to me. (laughs) Fair warning. But truly, hostel experience was so fun. I went on a pub crawl and I was sober and I met a bunch of people my age. I felt safe the entire time. Uh, but don't forget to buy a padlock. Part three. I'm now outlining this podcast in a taxi in Barcelona, Spain. I'm heading to a small town called La Roca Village, which sells designer bags and shoes for over 60% off. I'm talking Gucci, Louis, Fendi, Prada. They bus buses of people full of tourists in and out of the shopping center all day long from the city center in Barcelona. If you ever get a chance and you got a little cash and you want to treat yourself, you have to check this place out. I've been spending moderately on this trip. I mean, definitely going over budget at times and overeating at times and indulging a lot, but I keep telling myself it's a once in a lifetime experience and money always returns, but time in, insert European city, does not. Something I mentioned earlier about Jared, my lovely boyfriend, is that we are partners for life. I miss him a lot. 
And we have both made a commitment to each other and knows we know that our souls are bonded and all of that shit. And we just so happen to be in an open relationship. I know many of you have been asking how it works, and I'd love to do an entire episode about it if that's something you guys are interested in. But I want him to be there to do it. Um, so maybe another episode. Right now, Jared is on a 10-day silent meditation retreat called Vipassana. It's a free community-driven retreat that takes place in cities all over the world all year round. Seriously, you just like sign up for one and it's free and you go and supposedly your life gets changed and like they take care of food and housing and everything. All you have to do is, you know, wake up at 4.30 every morning and meditate for 10 hours a day for 10 days straight. Oh, and there's no talking. You're not even supposed to look at other participants in the eye while they're there. So there's no technology, no phone, no music, no Apple watches. You abide by the same schedule every day for 10 days and no talking for 10 days. Everyone from novice to pro meditators go and do Vipassana. And I wouldn't say Jared and I are anything past beginners at meditation. I mean, the longest we've gone is like an hour. But now he's doing 10 hours a day for 10 days. I'm seriously in awe by how this dude pushes himself to reach new heights in his mind and body. Much like me leaving for this trip to Europe was a journey that I needed to do alone, he needed to go do Vipassana alone. Before we left, we had talked about our boundaries with sexual adventures with each other while we were gone. And I mean, let's be honest, we mainly talked about me because you can't exactly bone at a silent meditation retreat. And I've got to be honest, I was really excited to go and sow some seeds with some international strangers. But that's not at all how this trip has been going. I mean, besides the anxiety and the pH imbalance, I have not been hit on once during this trip. Of course, my personality is very outgoing and friendly, but not a single person has asked me to dance or get a drink or even so much as made a flirtatious comment my way. It's been a real blow to my self-esteem. Now, of course, I don't like think I'm, you know, like a walking Beyonce. I don't think people are like kissing the ground I walk on. No, no, no. I've always said that I'm like a hard LA6. Like, I know what I look like, but I thought on vacation, everyone's trying to fuck. I thought I'd have to be swatting dicks and vag away left and right. And of course, you know, me turning 29 on this trip, my first thoughts are internally reflective. Maybe am I too old looking? Did I already peak? Is my self-worth really reliant on how many people hit on me while I'm on vacation? And is it wrong to kind of say, uh, kinda? Again, maybe I've seen too many movies, but I think I had this idea that I'd have my American lover at home who is my foundation, rock, and partner. And then I'd develop these like hoes in different area codes, like a real international player. I started to wonder if the idea of being in an open relationship actually weirded other people out. Maybe they looked at me like I'm a cheater or maybe that I'm too foo-foo LA for them. Thinking back on the last week of this trip now, I feel like I've made so many personal strides going out of my comfort zone, talking to strangers and making conversations with people that I would never do unless I'd had a few drinks in me, but nope. Just wondering if maybe my personality sober is shitty? (laughs) I mean, it feels funny to say, but I guess I set my expectations up too high. You know, like this felt like it was supposed to be naughty and right at the same time because when I'm back in LA, I have Jared. And to sleep with other people, we both just have to put time and energy into dating and swiping, and it just feels like a lot of work when we're totally comfortable with each other at home. Or even if I leave town, it's always 100% for work. I'm never in a position to go out and look. Whereas when he goes out of town for work, 
He's DJing. He's literally at a club where drunk chicks are trying to sleep with the DJ. It's so much easier for him. I've seen it firsthand. Trust me. I guess I felt like this trip was supposed to be my turn. I also realized with getting sober, I'm just going in earlier. I'm waking up earlier, refreshed, and I go hard all day, walking like five miles a day around town, doing fun-ass activities, and by 10 p.m., my bitch ass is ready for bed. Yet, once again, this trip has forced me to look inward and ask myself, why is this bothering me so much? Am I really keeping score tit for tat with Jared? Am I trying to prove something with my sexuality, with our relationship? And just because it's open doesn't mean I need to sleep with someone the second we're away from each other. Because am I even connecting with a person at that point? Or is it just a mission to accomplish? I've got two nights left, so I guess we'll find out. In conclusion, saying that always makes me think of high school because like in conclusion is the first big transitional word that they teach you. <laughs> in conclusion, here are my main takeaways for this episode. Chapter one, emotions. Fear is just a feeling and that's it, okay? It's just a feeling, nothing more. All of the thinking surrounding it, all of the physical responses, the doubts, they are just symptoms of fear, which is just a feeling. George Adair is quoted once as saying, everything you've ever wanted is on the other side of fear. Chapter two, physical. Always pack yeast infection and UTI medication. And three, sex. Love means partnership, not owning. Appreciation, not possession. And, and humility will open more doors than assumption and arrogance ever will. If you enjoyed this weird, hostful monologue episode, let me know. Don't forget to write to us at confidentlyinsecurepodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter and Insta at confidentlypod where I am constantly doing giveaways, makeup, fashion items, seriously, like all the damn time. So go follow there. And check out our most recent Q&A about more travel adventures and tips on our Instagram TV. I love you, confidants. That's totally, that's our thing. <laughs>